Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Washington Today on C-SPAN Radio for Wednesday, January 25th, 2023. President Joe Biden announcing the U.S. will send Abrams tanks to Ukraine in its war with Russia, calling them the most capable tanks in the world and saying their addition will enhance Ukraine's capacity to defend its territory and achieve its strategic objectives. Announcement coming after Germany's chancellor says that Germany will send its main battle tank, the Leopard 2, to Ukraine. Coming up, we hear from President Biden, and we'll talk about this with The Hill's defense reporter, Brad Dress. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy denying two Democrats recommended by the House Democratic leader for the Intelligence Committee to take their seats. Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell. Speaker McCarthy says it's a matter of national security. The two Democrats say the Speaker is taking political revenge. We'll hear from all three, plus another Democrat, Congresswoman Ilan Omar, whom Speaker McCarthy has threatened to keep off the Foreign Affairs Committee. Also, the latest on the ongoing standoff over how to raise the national debt limit and whether spending cuts should be part of the mix, as House Republicans are asking for. U.S. House today passing a bill to reform the airline pilot warning computer system that crashed a couple of weeks ago, grounding over 10,000 flights across the country. And First Lady Jill Biden donating what she wore the day of President Biden's inauguration to the Smithsonian Institution's First Lady's exhibit saying these two ensembles were a voice for me in one of the most important days of my life. Now to the announcements by Germany that it will send 14 Leopard 2 battle tanks to Ukraine. Then by the U.S., it'll send 31 M1 Abrams tanks as the war between Ukraine and Russian forces nears its first anniversary. Associated Press writing that President Biden's decision reverses months of persistent arguments by Washington that the tanks were too difficult for Ukrainian troops to operate and maintain. President Biden speaking today in the White House Roosevelt Room. Today I'm announcing that the United States will be sending 31 Abram tanks to Ukraine, the equivalent of one Ukrainian battalion. Secretary Austin has recommended this step because it will enhance the Ukraine's capacity to defend its territory and achieve its strategic objectives. The Abrams tanks are the most capable tanks in the world. <clears throat> They're also extremely complex to operate and maintain. So we're also giving Ukraine the parts and equipment necessary to effectively sustain these tanks on the battlefield. And we begin, we'll begin to train the Ukrainian troops on these issues of sustainment, logistics, and maintenance as soon as possible. Delivering these tanks to the field is going to take time. Time uh, that we'll see, uh, we'll use to make sure the Ukrainians are fully prepared to integrate the Abram tanks into their defenses. 
We're also closely coordinated this announcement with our allies. The American contribution will be joined by an additional announcement, including that will be uh, will be ready to available and more easily integrated for use in the battlefield in the coming weeks and months from other countries. I'm grateful to Chancellor Schultz for providing German Leopard 2 tanks and will lead an effort to organize a European contribution of two tank battalions for Ukraine. I want to thank the Chancellor for his leadership and his steadfast commitment to our collective efforts to support Ukraine. Germany has really stepped up. And the Chancellor has been a strong, strong voice for unity, a close friend, and for the level of effort we're going to continue. Supporting Ukraine's ability to fight off Russian aggression to defend its sovereignty and territorial integrity is a worldwide commitment. Not just look, it's a worldwide commitment. Last week, Germany, in Germany, Secretary Austin convened the Ukraine Defense Contact Group for the eighth time. This group was made up of some 50 nations, 50 nations, each making significant contributions of their own to Ukraine's integrity. Each fully committed to making Ukraine remain strong and independent and able to defend itself against Russian threats and violence. I want to thank every member of that coalition for continuing to step up. President Biden today at the White House. Ukraine's foreign minister, Dmitry Kuleba, tweeting, So the tank coalition is formed. Everyone who doubted this could ever happen sees now. For Ukraine and partners, impossible is nothing. I call on all new partners that have Leopard 2 tanks in service to join the coalition, provide as many of them as possible. They are free now. The Russian embassy in Berlin putting out a statement calling the German government's decision to send the Leopard 2s extremely dangerous and saying it takes the conflict to a new level of confrontation. And also Germany is abandoning what the Russian embassy calls its historical responsibility to Russia, arising from Nazi crimes during World War II. In Washington, the Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell speaking on the Senate floor about the tanks from the U.S. and Germany now going to Ukraine. I've consistently called on the Biden administration to be more proactive and to lead by example in delivering lethal aid like the long-range weapons with a greater sense of urgency. I was happy to learn yesterday and this morning that indeed both the White House and their counterparts in Germany are finally moving forward with these overdue steps. Germany has announced it will supply Ukraine with an initial 14 Leopard 2 tanks, and the Biden administration is expected to send at least 30 M1 Abrams tanks as well. Good news. Now that Berlin has taken this step, I hope and expect that Germany and other European countries with tanks in their inventory will move expeditiously to send them to Ukraine. Modern main battle tanks will provide highly maneuverable armored firepower that will help Ukraine liberate territory and keep pressure on the Russian aggressors. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican from Kentucky, on the Senate floor. With more on today's announcement of U.S. sending Abrams tanks to Ukraine, we're joined on the phone by Brad Dress, defense reporter with The Hill. Thank you so much for being here. There's been some reporting referring to this as a reversal of the Biden administration. And the the talks have been going on for a couple of weeks, sometimes in public. Why the announcement now? Yeah, yeah. So we saw last week the U.S. announced a major package 
for Ukraine, $2.5 billion, including some uh, infantry fighting vehicles like the Strikers and the Bradleys. Um, but it didn't include the Abrams things, which everyone was expecting. Um, at least there was a lot of buzz about it after the U.K. announced it would send over its own tanks. Um, so, you know, the, the reason the Pentagon gave it the time was that they were a bit too complicated. You know, they commonly run on jet fuel, um, and it would just require a lot of maintenance on the battlefield. Um, but it did upset a lot of people because they wanted um, at least the Leopard tanks, which Germany has, to, to go to Ukraine. Because um, Ukraine's only using Soviet era tanks. Uh, so they want, like, more Western modern ones. So at least the Leopards um, would have been good for Ukraine. Um, but the problem was that they couldn't get the Germany wasn't going to send those unless the U.S. moved first. They kind of wanted to move in lockstep. Um, you know, there's always a fear of escalating tensions with Russia. Um, so what changed, it seems like there was a lot of pressure. Um, there's a lot of this in the press. Um, you know, like, there seemed to be a lot of um, European allies pressuring them. Like, Poland was going to transfer its own leopard tanks without Germany's permission. Um, so I, I think... Uh, and that's what Biden cited. Um, the White House said today that there was there was talks um, that were ongoing privately, and it seems like they eventually decided it was probably best to reach this um, conclusion. What has been the reaction from members of Congress? This comes as some House Republicans in the majority want to take a fresh look at U.S. military aid to Ukraine. Yeah, there's been um, well, a lot of people, a lot of lawmakers were actually. Um, pushing for the tanks to be sent to Ukraine. Um, so that there was a lot of pressure from, from Congress on that. Um, but this does tie into a larger debate, as you say. Um, the Republicans who now the majority in the House are talking about, you know, capping defense spending at um, 2022 fiscal year levels, which would be a 10% cut to the budget. They also want to audit. Um, Ukraine funding more. Um, there's a lot of calls for that from from the more far right side of the Republican conference. Um, so this this ties into that a little bit, but um, for the most part, it seems like there was bipartisan pressure to send the Abrams things over, um, if not just to unlock the leopards that Germany would send. We're talking with Brad Dress, a defense reporter with The Hill. So now Ukraine says it's going to be pushing to get U.S. fighter jets. Where does that stand? Yeah, I talked to um, an advisor today with uh, Ukraine's uh, defense secretary, and he said that that's probably going to be their next push. They've been asking for these F-16s for a while, actually, you know, since the early stages of the war, and the U.S. has not provided those yet. Um, again, Ukraine's using aging fleet for that, Soviet-era fighter jets, so just like with the tanks, if they were to get these um, Western modern jets like F-16s, um, that would be a significant improvement um, for their fighting forces. And again, the bigger the bigger um, takeaway here is that Ukraine needs these um, more modern weapons because you know they're expecting a big Russian offensive in the, uh, in the spring. Um, we don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but there's been a lot of intelligence thrown out there, and it looks like it could be something big. Ukraine also wants to regain more territory um, that Russia has occupied. So, you know, they need uh, the, the tools to do that. 
Senator Lindsey Graham, for instance, was quoted today on CNN calling the setting of the tanks a turning point in the war. And uh, Russian embassy in Berlin saying that this is extremely dangerous for, for Germany to be sending their Leopard tanks. How much of a difference is this expected to make on the battlefield? And, and what are the worries about escalation? Yeah, I mean, it's important to remember that Russia is always saying there's a red line to cross. Um, and we've been here before, um, you know, with the HIMARS launchers uh, last year. Um, and some other weapons, and, you know, slowly NATO allies have increased more um, advanced weaponry for for Ukraine, and Russia has always said that this is going to be an escalation. Um, so I don't think that this is really going to be any kind of pushing point for Moscow. Um, I think it's part of their, you know, information campaign, um, you know, that they, they always push out. So I don't think there's any you know, a huge, huge risk there. Um, as far as, like, how big of um, a deal they, these tanks will make on the battlefield, you know, a lot of analysts I've talked to told me it's going to be pretty tremendous. Um, like I said, you know, Ukraine needs to um, repel a Russian offensive in the spring. We also need to regain more territory. And right now there's a lot of um, kind of stalemate fighting in the east right now. Um, you know, we heard all the news this month about the, the trench warfare in Solodar and Bakhmut and the Donetsk. Um, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of um, ground that either side's taking um, right now. So if Ukraine gets these hands on these tanks, they can definitely have more of a mechanized offense, and uh, they can, you know, push back with whatever Russia is preparing in the spring. Brad Dress is a defense reporter with The Hill. His story's at thehill.com, and on Twitter it's at Brad underscore Dress. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. John Kirby, the director of strategic communications at the National Security Council, asked today at a White House briefing about why this announcement of U.S. Abrams tanks to Ukraine was made now. For a long time, U.S. military officials had resisted this move to send Abrams tanks, saying that they're difficult to operate, difficult to um, train people on. And that was essentially what we heard from President Biden today. What changed? So a couple of things. We've, you're right, we've been completely open and transparent about uh, the sophistication level of the Abrams tank. It's, the, as the president said, the most capable, powerful tank in the world. Um, and a lot goes into making it the most capable tank. Uh, so um, we've been very honest about that. There's, uh, there's training that's needed. There's sophisticated maintenance requirements. There's a supply chain. I mean, it uses a gas turbine engine, basically a jet engine, 1,500 horsepower. Um, so there's a lot that goes into operating these tanks uh, on the field. That said, we never ruled tanks out. We have been, um, from the beginning of this war now, 11 months ago, been evolving the capabilities what we're providing with Ukraine with the conditions on the ground. And so when you're at, to get to your specific questions, what's changed? What's changed, Kristen, are the conditions on the ground uh, and the kinds of fighting that the Russians are doing right now, and the kinds of fighting, more importantly, that we believe the Ukrainians are going to be, need to be capable of in weeks and months ahead, well into 2023, uh, well into this year. Um, and that's why we're doing the combined arms training outside of Ukraine for battalion-sized units. Combined arms maneuver, that's a f fancy title, but basically means being able to integrate your ground capabilities, whether that's armor, artillery, even even some degree small air defense systems, integrating command and control logistics, integrating all that um, to fight on the ground, particularly with open terrain. 
That's why armored vehicles were so high on the list for the Ukrainians, and tanks are armored vehicles. So this very much just follows right along with the kinds of discussions we've been having with the Ukrainians for months about making sure that they can fight on the terrain that they're in and that they can prepare for operations going forward this year. John Kirby is Director of Strategic Communications, spokesperson for the National Security Council, speaking with reporters in the White House briefing room. Senator Tom Cotton, Republican from Arkansas, telling Fox News today that he supports the decision to send the Abrams tanks to Ukraine, only wishing it had been done sooner. It's a welcome decision that President Biden and Germany have decided to finally provide these tanks to Ukraine, but it's long overdue. It also continues a pattern since before the war started of President Biden being scared of his own shadow, of declining the military support that the Ukrainian army needs, first to deter the war from starting in the first place, and then second to defend Ukrainian territory and to fight back against Russia's unprovoked (laughs) war of aggression. And it's really an admission of their own mistakes, not providing these tanks months ago, as you've seen time and time again for the last year, when the administration explains that some kind of weapon system or a certain kind of intelligence would be dangerously escalatory or provocative, Mm -hmm. only to provide it months later too late for it to have been used to stop further advances or to facilitate further Ukrainian advances. So what we need to do to end this war, to stop it from being any more protracted or bloodier, is to back Ukraine's army to the hilt so they can defend their own territory. Senator Tom Cotton, Republican from Arkansas on Fox News Channel today. This is Washington Today. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, writes CNN on Tuesday, officially denied seats on the House Intelligence Committee to Democratic Congressman Eric Swalwell and Adam Schiff, the former chairman of the panel. The decision reflects the increasingly politicized nature of one of Congress's most important national security committees and was swiftly met with outrage by the two California Democrats, both of whom played key roles in the impeachments of former President Donald Trump. The CNN article going on, Speaker McCarthy, Republican from California, wrote in a letter to House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, Democrat from New York, that he posted on Twitter Tuesday night, I cannot put partisan loyalty ahead of national security, and I cannot simply recognize years of service as the sole criteria for membership on this essential committee. Integrity matters more. CNN article adding that Speaker McCarthy has cited a new standard from Democrats for why he would strip Adam Schiff and Eric Swallow of their committee assignments. The Democrat-led House in 2021 removed Republican Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia and Congressman Paul Gosar of Arizona from their committees for inflammatory rhetoric, including support for violence against Democratic members of Congress. And in his letter, Speaker McCarthy said, it's my assessment that the misuse of this panel, the Intelligence Committee, during the 116th and 117th Congresses severely undermined its primary national security and oversight missions, ultimately leaving our nation less safe. We'll hear from Congressman Schiff and Swalwell in a moment. They held a news conference today. But first, here's Speaker McCarthy previewing his decision in his own news conference Tuesday night. I received a letter from um, the Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries about the Intel Committee. I will be sending him a response back a little later tonight, but let me be very clear. This is not anything political. This is not similar to what the Democrats did. Those members will have other committees, but the Intel Committee is different. The Intel Committee's responsibility is the national security to America. Look, I respect Hakeem Jeffries' support of his conference and his people, but integrity matters. 
And they have failed in that place from Adam Schiff using a position of the Intel chair lying to the American public again and again. You had the Inspector General say it. You watched the editorial in the Wall Street Journal. And I'm sorry. Swalwell, you all know, does not have the or should have the responsibility to serve on the Intel Committee. When the FBI comes to you when he gets appointed to and warns you about what's transpiring, when Eric Swalwell would be in the private sector and can't get a security clearance there, we are not going to provide him with the secrets to America. Hakeem Jeffrey has 200 other people who can, who can serve on that committee. This is the right of the speaker. And the one thing I will always do, I will put the national security ahead of partisan politics any day. I don't care if they're in my party or not. Integrity matters. And we're going to make the Intel Committee back to what it was supposed to be. No longer will we miss what happened in Afghanistan. No longer will we miss what's happening in China, Russia, Iran, and others. That's what this um, country believes should happen, and this is what we'll do. I'll also be um, having those on the Intel Committee, Republican and Democrat alike, take the courses for AI and quantum, the same courses that our generals in our military take as well, because we want to be able to speak with one voice and make sure our country and the national security is protected. And that's how we'll move forward. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Tuesday night with reporters in the U.S. Capitol building. Today, Congressman Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell held their own news conference to respond. We start with uh, Congressman Swalwell. You heard Kevin McCarthy refer to the FBI coming to him. That's a report that a suspected Chinese spy targeted his, cam his campaign in 2014. Speaker McCarthy is choosing to do something that Speaker Boehner, Speaker Ryan, and Speaker Pelosi did not do, which is with access to the same information, with the claims that Speaker McCarthy has made about me, Speaker Boehner, Speaker Ryan, and Speaker Pelosi kept me on the committee. Chairman Nunes, with access to the same information, to which Mr. McCarthy is making claims about me, never made a peep, allowed me to stay on the committee. The claims that Mr. McCarthy has made about me that I could never get a security clearance, Mr. Schiff was also briefed on and supported me staying on the committee because the FBI said three times, all I did was two things. I helped them over and over, and I was never suspected of wrongdoing. The Washington Post, in response to Mr. McCarthy's claims, gave him four Pinocchios, which is a whopper, the highest amount that they can give for one of the biggest lies that you could tell about somebody else. So this is purely about political vengeance. The cost is not only removing us from the committee, on the Intelligence Committee, the cost is not only breaking, shattering the most precious glassware in the cabinet, a committee that's always been bipartisan. The cost are the death threats that Ms. Omar, myself, and Mr. Schiff keep getting because Mr. McCarthy continues to aim and project these smears against us. Even though we have said publicly these smears are bringing death threats, he continues to do it, which makes us believe that there's an intent behind it. But we will not be quiet. We're not going away. I think he'll regret giving all three of us more time on our hands. Congressman Eric Swalwell, Democrat from California, today's news conference, responding to those allegations from Speaker Kevin McCarthy on why Eric Swalwell will not be appointed to the Intelligence Committee, even though recommended by the House Democratic leader, Hakeem Jeffries. Also in the room, and you heard Eric Swalwell refer to three 
also in that room for the news conference, Congressman Adam Schiff, also not being reappointed to the Intelligence Committee, and Congresswoman Ilan Omar, Democrat from Minnesota, whom Speaker McCarthy has threatened to keep off the Foreign Affairs Committee for other reasons. Here's a question to Congressman Schiff and Congresswoman Omar. Well, you know, I can just say that uh, Mr. McCarthy's rationalizations, justifications keep shifting. Um, the cardinal sin appears to be that I led the impeachment of his master in Mar-a-Lago. Um, for withholding hundreds of millions of dollars in military aid from Ukraine, a nation that was even then at war with Russia in order to extort that country into helping Donald Trump's re-election campaign. Uh, we proved those facts and got the first bipartisan vote in the Senate in history to remove a president. Um, Ken McCarthy calls that a hoax. Um, well, it was not a hoax. Um, but he will do the former president's bidding. He is entirely reliant on the former president. Uh, and this is something the former president wants. Um, but uh, I can assure you that if the former president or Kevin McCarthy believes that this is going to stop any of us uh, from fighting to protect our democracy, um, they're going to find out uh, uh, that the opposite is true. It only will intensify our commitment to doing so. Uh, I do want to mention, uh, with respect to Mr. Swalwell also, that I, as he indicated, I sat in on that briefing. Um, and when Kevin McCarthy misrepresents it um, and, uh, and does that uh, uh, disservice to the American people, it's shameful. Um, uh, Mr. Swalwell has served honorably on our committee. He's never been accused of any kind of wrongdoing. Um, this is a patently unfair smear by Mr. McCarthy, but that's, that's what he traffics in, and that's, that's what we're seeing. I have uh, addressed it. I've apologized. Um, it's been um, two and a half terms ago. Uh, and I think it is really important in all of our cases to remember it is not the accusations that McCarthy is making against us that is pushing um, for our removal from these committees. Uh, it is about revenge. Uh, it's about the appeasing the former president. All three of us have been a thorn in the back of the previous disgraced president. Uh, Republicans have been gunning for our seats um, and obviously know how effective that we have been uh, in upholding um, the Constitution, in defending our democracy, in standing up to extremists, uh, and we will continue to do that work regardless of whether we are seated on these committees or not. Congresswoman Ilan Omar, also Congressman Adam Schiff, and in the room, Congressman Eric Swalwell, all Democrats, a news conference on Capitol Hill. The New York Times re reporting that Ms. Omar apologized in 2019 for saying that support for Israel in Washington was, quote, all about the Benjamins, baby a comment that members of both parties announced as a reference to an anti-Semitic trope. And she was criticized again in 2021 when she made statements that appeared to compare human rights abuses by Israel with acts committed by Hamas and the Taliban. 
and later said that she had not meant to equate them, that from the New York Times. It's not clear, the Times goes on, whether Mr. McCarthy, who holds a razor-thin majority, had the votes to oust Ms. Omar. At least two Republicans had publicly expressed qualms about doing so. Those two members of Congress, Victoria Sparts of Indiana and Don Bacon of Nebraska, unlike the Intelligence Committee, where the Speaker makes the appointments, in the case of the Foreign Affairs Committee assignments, it's done by the full House. So it would require a vote to keep Ilan Omar off that committee if the House Democratic leadership recommends her. Congresswoman Victoria Sparts is speaking about this on the House floor today. I rise today to highlight an ongoing problem with our institution, which starts reminding a theater full of actors, a circus, and dog and pony show with a lot of messaging, grandstanding, demagogy, talking points, but no real results badly needed for the American people. When Benjamin Franklin was leaving the Constitutional Convention in 1787 and was asked what kind of government the delegates had created, he replied, a republic, if you can keep it. It's been over 200 years since that time, but do we really appreciate what it means to have a constitutional republic, the rule of law, presumption of innocence, and proper due process? As someone who grew up under dictatorship in the Soviet Union, I cherish these freedoms tremendously and understand how hard it is to get them back when you lose them and how many people have died for them. Therefore, regardless of politics, I will vigorously defend our Constitution and our rights for all Americans. Congress is not a kangaroo court and has proper committees like ethics or judiciary to provide proper due processes to all individuals, whether it's President Trump and Representative Green or President Biden and or Representative Omar. I adamantly argued for last Congress as a member of the Judiciary Committee to provide these due processes. So I am not planning to become a hypocrite now and lose this credibility. We have to become adults in the room and stop this bread and circuses in Congress. No one is above the law, but no one is below the law. Congresswoman Victoria Sparks, Republican from Indiana, today on the House floor. The U.S. Secret Service National Threat Assessment Center has released a report about targeted mass violence in public spaces. They looked at over 170 attacks across the country between 2016 and 2020 that killed or injured three or more people in places like businesses, schools, houses of worship. Some of the findings, nearly three-quarters of the attackers used guns. Nearly one quarter did some final communication, like calling people to say goodbye, posting a farewell online, or writing a suicide note. The head of the center, Lena Alatari, was part of a news conference on the release of the report. She says of the attacks, it's just happening way too often. And she talked about views shared by many of the attackers. 
In terms of their beliefs, we find a variety of beliefs and fixations in the backgrounds of these attackers. Uh, so over about a quarter, uh, they maintain some kind of um, uh, conspiracy theory beliefs. So they believed, for example, that 9-11 and the moon landing never happened, uh, that the UN was sending an armed force to come take away everyone's guns. So these types of conspiracy theories, as well as having beliefs that um, advocated or uh, engendered distrust, hatred, um, and use of violence towards other people. And you can see some of those beliefs that were in the backgrounds of these attackers included anti-government, uh, anti-Semitism, jihadism, misogyny. Um, and often, some of these beliefs sort of went in line with each other. For example, you'd have attackers that, you know, had anti-Semitic beliefs as well as white supremacists. At least six of them were radicalized online. So, for example, one attacker had started um, subscribing to an online image board about 18 months prior to his attack, and he later told law enforcement that that's when he became um, radicalized and started hating uh, Jewish uh, people. Um, in addition to the beliefs, they were also having a lot of fixations in over a quarter of the attackers. And what we mean by that is they were fixated on a specific individual. So whether it was a romantic partner, uh, a workplace grievance with a coworker, or fixated on an idea, such as some of these beliefs, uh, fixated on, like they were white supremacists, fixated on that beliefs. Um, and so they elicited a lot of concern in those around them for a lot of these beliefs. This list is in the report. It talks about how many concerning behaviors there are in the backgrounds of attackers. Uh, I won't go into each one, but they really are quite substantive, and they are not unique. We see this in our research on targeted violence. We see a lot of these same uh, warning signs and behaviors that we really should be looking at when someone is eliciting concern. Lena Alathari, chief of the U.S. Secret Service National Threat Assessment Center, news conference at the National Press Club on release of this report on mass casualty events in, in public spaces. The news conference was held Tuesday and embargoed until today. NBC News reporting that former President Donald Trump's Facebook and Instagram accounts are being reinstated. The social media giant Meta announced Wednesday, a little more than two years after he was suspended from the platforms over incendiary posts on the January 6th riot at the Capitol. Nick Clegg, president of Global Affairs at Meta, which owns Facebook and Instagram, said that former President Trump's accounts will be reinstated in the coming weeks and come with new guardrails in place to deter repeat offenses. Washington Today continues in a moment. Welcome back to Washington Today, available as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts and on the C-SPAN Now mobile app. The Hill com reports that centrist Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat of West Virginia, met with Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Republican of California, Wednesday to urge the leader to negotiate with President Biden on legislation to raise the debt limit, a sign the senior West Virginia senator could play a pivotal role in bipartisan talks. Senator Manchin's meeting with Congressman McCarthy comes at a time when other Democrats, including Senate Democratic Whip Dick Durbin and Congressman Brendan Boyle, Pennsylvania, the ranking member on the House Budget Committee, say that Democrats should not negotiate over the debt limit. A source familiar with the meeting said Senator Manchin encouraged Speaker McCarthy to negotiate with President Biden to find a path forward that would avoid harming the American people. And the source described the interaction as a good meeting and said no commitments were made. That from The Hill. House Majority Leader Steve Scalise, Republican from Louisiana, was asked at a news conference today about House Republican plans concerning the debt limit. 
But how seriously are Republicans considering any form of entitlement reform, a national sales tax? Where are you on those discussions, specifically in terms of cuts in, or, in these negotiations around the debt ceiling? Well, what we've been very concerned about is, number one, that debt ceiling is a symptom of the bigger Washington spending problem. And Joe Biden, for the last two years, went on a spending spree the likes of which our country has never seen. You know, $5 trillion in spending, a lot of it under the guise of COVID that had nothing to do with COVID. Doing things like paying people not to work, where you have millions of people right now who are sitting at home that are fully capable of working and getting thirty, forty thousand 40000 in government benefits. That, by the way, undermines Social Security, because if those millions of people were working, they'd be paying into Social Security, helping shore that program up, which, by the way, we strongly uh, believe that Social Security needs to be strengthened for seniors who paid into it. What President Biden did paying people not to work actually undermined Social Security and expedited its bankruptcy. But the bigger question is, can we get spending under control in Washington? And if the nation's credit card, which is the debt ceiling, gets maxed out, you've got a few questions. The first is, number one, I think most families, if they max out their credit card, they're going to sit down and have a conversation about how to responsibly deal with the problem. If you're taking in less money than you're spending, that's the problem. We're taking in, by the way, a dollar and spending a dollar twenty-nine in Washington. So for every dollar we take in, Washington's spending a dollar and twenty-nine cents. That's not sustainable. And so for President Biden to say we can't even have that conversation, that's irresponsible. And so what Speaker McCarthy has said is, let's go sit down and have an honest conversation about how, how to solve this problem. If Washington is spending too much money, is there not some money that President Biden can identify that's wasteful in Washington? We've laid out some real good examples. There are hundreds of billions of dollars of COVID money that are being misspent, payments that are going to people that don't even have Social Security numbers in foreign countries. And yet Joe Biden doesn't want to touch that waste. He wants to defend that waste because he just wants to raise the credit card limit so he can spend more money. That's not that's sustainable. That's not, by the way, how families deal with their own spending crises. So we're ready to fix this problem. The House Majority Leader Steve Scalise, Republican from Louisiana, at a news conference with other House Republicans. A separate news conference had the House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, Democrat from New York, joined by the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Democrat also from New York. They had this exchange with reporters about the debt ceiling. You have said that you want to see the Republican plan, uh, whatever yes. they're, you want to see them put the cuts on the table. Senator Manchin suggested today that he would prefer to see Speaker McCarthy meet with President Biden to have a conversation about it. Do you, do you find any value in the president negotiating with Speaker McCarthy? Until Speaker McCarthy has a plan, and a plan that can pass in the House with his Republican support, his going to the White House is like going with no cards in his hand. The bottom line is, the first step since McCarthy and many Republicans are playing brinksmanship, holding hostages, instead of doing what we've done four times with debt ceiling, three times under Trump, twice with Republican House, Senate and President, instead playing that dangerous game of brinksmanship, um, it's, it's incumbent on them to show, okay, what's your plan? We have a plan. Pass the debt ceiling without hostage taking, without uh, um, uh, any brinksmanship. What's their plan? They haven't shown it. They have an obligation on something as serious as the debt ceiling to show it. Show us the plan. Show the American people the plan. Show your own caucus the plan and see if you got the votes to pass it. Mr. Jeffers, can you answer that question? Do you think the speaker should meet with the president on debt ceiling? 
I associate myself with the remarks of the distinguished gentleman from New York. <laughs> Chuck Schumer. There's a difference between negotiation and blackmail. Negotiation, as Leader Schumer has indicated, we have a plan, pass the debt ceiling consistent with what has been done under Democratic presidents and Republican presidents, including three times under former President Trump. And then we can have a negotiation, a discussion about the future of spending moving forward through the normal process. Right? That's negotiation. But what they're essentially saying on the other side of the aisle is we will detonate Social Security, detonate Medicare, detonate veterans' benefits, or possibly even risk a catastrophic default for the first time in American history that will send us spiraling toward a deep recession, if not a depression, unless you cave into our extreme MAGA Republican demands. That ain't negotiation. That's blackmail. Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, the House Minority Leader, and Senator Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader, at a news conference today. Treasury Department has been saying the U.S. has already reached the nation's $31.4 trillion statutory debt limit. And the department is taking what it calls extraordinary measures, basically emergency steps, which have been used in the past to prevent default. And the department estimates this can last until June. The Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said on Tuesday that he wants any debt limit increase bill with or without spending restraint measures that the House Republicans are asking for to come up for for a vote first in the House. Today, a group of Senate Republicans holding a news conference expressing support for the House Republican strategy. Reporters asking them about some Democratic criticism. You're going to hear responses from Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, Rick Scott of Florida, and Rand Paul of Kentucky. One of the biggest things that we're hearing from Democrats is that Republicans want to cut Social Security and Medicare. Is that something you support? Well, you support that, that's a total lie. You know, we've been hearing, I, I, as, you know, campaigning, I, I heard that through three campaigns. I've never said that at all. We want to save Social Security, and the way we do it is primarily what uh, Senator Scott was talking about. The number one component of a solution is economic growth, which is why we cut taxes in, in 2017, moving into 20, 2018, and it worked. Look at how much revenue has grown over a trillion dollars since then, and that is even with the COVID recession. So growing the economy is the number one component, but we still have to be fiscally responsible. And going from $4.4 trillion in spending to over $6 trillion and kind of laying that as a baseline is grossly irresponsible. And I've got to agree with Senator Brown and Senator Scott. In business, that happens all the time where you're asked to cut your budget 10% and people do it. So the private sector can do it. Why should the government be immune? And if you don't, don't, you get fired. And you know who cut Medicare is the Democrats. They did. They did in September in their spending bill. They cut two hundred eighty billion dollars out of Medicare. So they want to say Republicans want to cut Medicare. None of us support cutting Medicare benefits, but they actually did it. The greatest threat to any of those programs is this massive debt. Again, as Senator Brown said, every one percent increase is another three hundred ten billion dollars. Times four, 1.2, 1.3 trillion dollars. That we spend 1.2 trillion dollars a year in Social Security. That's the magnitude of what we're talking about because of this out of control spending and these deficits. Senator Johnson, why is it such a struggle for even a group of conservative senators here to identify what to cut? If you're talking a 30 trillion dollar deficit that you want to eliminate and put the country on a path to balance budget, that requires either a lot of cuts or a lot of tax increases, right? Why not lead the way and show Congress how to do it? There have been a number of proposals in terms of doing that, but again, we're, we're going down this process now, step by step. The first one is to pass the budget, 
which will contemplate those types of cuts. You know, Senator Paul has different proposals. There's a number of ways of doing it, but we need to first get the structural uh, process in place. One quick point. I mean, that's a false argument. That's made all the time by the left-wing media. Oh, you don't point it out. On my Festivus report, which we put out every year, this year was $482 billion worth of waste. I'll give you some examples. They're small, but they added up to $482 billion. The National Science Foundation spent $118,000 studying whether Thanos, who's a Marvel Comics evil overlord and snaps his finger and lightning comes out of his fingers, your tax dollars went to the National Science Foundation to hire a guy to put metal gloves on to snap his fingers to see if you can snap your fingers in metal gloves. $700,000 to see if kids are better coped with pets. $650,000 to study why male parrots like female parrots and how they pursue them. I could go on. Senator Rand Paul. Republican from Kentucky. Before that, Senator Ron Johnson, Republican from Wisconsin, and Senator Rick Scott, Republican from Florida, joining other Senate Republicans at today's news conference on Capitol Hill. Wall Street today, the Dow up nine, NASDAQ down 20, and S&P down a fraction. More than 16 million Americans signing up for health insurance in 2023 under the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. It's an increase from last year of over 12 percent and the biggest enrollment since the act became law 13 years ago. House today passing a bipartisan bill to address the Federal Aviation Administration computer failure a couple of weeks ago that caused over 11,000 flights to be canceled or delayed. Congressman Pete Stauber, Republican from Minnesota, speaking about his bill to create a task force to study reforms to NOTAM, the FAA's Notice to Air Missions System. NOTAMs provide current, up-to-the-minute data to pilots on any aspect of their flight. Unfortunately, NOTAMs are often buried in lengthy reports, conflating important safety information with more common alerts. These inefficiencies have the potential to create life-threatening situations, which have just been mentioned. Then on January 11th, 2023, this year, all U.S. domestic flights were grounded for the first time since 9-11. The latest reports from the FAA suggest that the unintentional deletion of files caused this chaos. No one person or one file should be able to take down our whole flight safety system. But the NOTAM system is old and antiquated, so it comes as no real surprise. Unfortunately, leadership at the Department of Transportation is more concerned with woke politics and changing the name of the system rather than appropriate upgrades for aviation safety. Congressman Pete Stauber, Republican from Minnesota on the House floor, the bill he sponsored to create this NOTAMS reform task force passed by a vote of 424 to 4, now heads to the Senate. But the Senate in the last two Congresses has not taken up bills that the House passed on this. First Lady Jill Biden donating two clothing ensembles she wore Inauguration Day to the Smithsonian Institution, become part of the First Lady's collection an ocean blue tweed dress and matching coat worn at the inauguration ceremony itself at the U.S. Capitol, January 20th, 2021, and an ivory silk wool dress and cashmere coat she wore at the White House later that night. And the First Lady pointing out at today's ceremony at the Smithsonian Institution 
It includes two unique accessories. Of course, both outfits feature something that will no doubt, as, Lon- as Lonnie said, set them apart from the other displays here at the museum. Matching masks. You know, they're just pieces of small cloth, but they represent the enormity of what we all faced at the time. A pandemic that has changed our world forever. Months of closed schools and businesses, a virtual presidential campaign, so much time spent apart. But these masks also represent the moments of courage and kindness that helped us through the worst of it, the strength and the resilience that we found to rebuild and move forward. And of course, I want to thank the Smithsonian for memorializing the history that is sewn into every stitch of these ensembles. First Lady Jill Biden at the Smithsonian Museum of American History today in Washington, D.C., where the First Lady's exhibit is. She mentioned Lonnie, that's the Smithsonian Secretary Lonnie Bunch, and this is also her first public appearance since doctors removed cancerous lesions from her face and chest a few weeks ago. Associated Press reporting that the First Ladies usually donate the gown they danced in at inaugural balls following the oath-taking ceremony, but there was no such celebrations for President Joe Biden. He took the oath at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic when large indoor gatherings were discouraged. Thanks for listening to Washington Today. Sign up for C-SPAN's evening newsletter word for word to get the stories Washington is talking about sent to your inbox every day. Subscribe at c-span.org forward slash connect. Have a good night.